At this time, I would like to dismiss the kids. Miss Alyssa is in the back waiting for you. You can go with her. This morning, we uh, have the privilege of having our stated clerk, Dr. Dean Weaver, with us. Dr. Weaver is the stated clerk of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's like the, the head of our denomination. He's been married to his wife, Beth, for 34 years, and they live in Pittsburgh, PA, and in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. The Weavers have seven children, uh, four grandchildren, and one on the way. Prior to being called as our stated clerk, Pastor Weaver served as a lead pastor of an EPC church in Pittsburgh, PA Memorial Park for 15 years. Dr. Weaver is also one of the founders and former president of EduNations, which is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that builds and operates schools in Sierra Leone, Africa. And to date, EduNations has built and operates 16 schools, educating over 3,000 children in in the most under-resourced country in the world. So Dean, we are excited to hear from you today. And would you welcome, would you join me in welcoming him? Thanks, brother. All right. I always wait for that collective gasp uh, from the congregation whenever you find out that I have seven children. Uh, usually that is met with intercessory prayer at that point in time. Uh, but most importantly, of course, is not the seven grandchildren, but the, or seven children, but the four grandchildren and one on the way, because we all know that grandchildren are way better than children. Amen. If I had known ahead of time, I would have skipped right over the children and gone right to the grandchildren. Is there an amen in the house? That was the grandparents that said amen. That's, they got that. So if you were part of the, uh, Go encounter this weekend. You're going to have to help me out here so that I feel at home and can kind of get into the spirit of things. So if you are part of that, help me out. God is good. So there's a half of you. We're here. Okay. Call out the other half of you later. Um, I'm going to impress you with my vast knowledge of the Greek language and putting together as pastors like to do, uh, take an English word and show you how it comes from a couple of Greek words. The English word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, entheos. If you're enthusiastic, you're entheos or in God. If you're in God, you're enthusiastic. So let's try that again with a little entheos, if you will. Okay. God is good. All the time. There it was. There it was. All right. So we're all going to add at the very end, especially today, and then I'll cue you in as to exactly why. God is good. All the time. Because this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and give thanks in it. Amen. A special praise to the Lord from the worship team, amen? All right, all right, I thought I'd get a little more enthusiasm over here. 
All right, you guys have, if you don't know this yet, I mean, I was at the, the first earlier services and the choir was amazing, the solo and the organ and everything, the handbells is incredible. Your worship team at the service is utterly spectacular. You guys have a great staff. I've been blessed by Pastor Ken and Wendy and Mike and Pastor Stan and all of their hospitality. It's been a great weekend. So uh, just so you know, uh, you're blessed. And if you didn't know that, I hope you hear that objectively from an outsider who can say, if you would give yourself fully over to the Lord in all matters, I think what God could do through Eastminster Church could be Acts chapter two kind of crazy, imaginable, miraculous stuff. Would you like that? All right, well then buckle in for the word of God, people, because here we go. Go to Acts chapter four. It's a great passage, falls on the heels of Pentecost itself, you know, where 3,000 people come to the Lord at the preaching of Peter. And, um, and then shortly after that, just in the chapter precedes us in chapter three, um, Peter and John are in Solomon's portico and they, uh, they heal a man 40 years old who had been lame since birth. Everybody walking by the temple would have seen him begging for alms at the temple gates for, for his entire life. And now they see this guy standing up and running around. And so as if Jerusalem was not already abuzz from Pentecost, now it's stirred up even more over the healing of this guy. And so when we get to chapter four, the apostles are speaking to the people and the religious rulers are gathering around to figure out what to do about it. Okay, so it's a long read here, folks. It's chapter four, verses one through 31, but it's well worth it because it's an incredible story of how the spirit of God works through the people of God to help accomplish the mission of God. So let's dig in. As they, the apostles, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and they were greatly annoyed. Imagine that, religious leaders greatly annoyed. Go figure. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That's what they were annoyed about. They were annoyed about the fact that they were preaching the resurrection of the dead. Well, that makes sense because it was the Sadducees who were annoyed. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And you know how I remember that? Because the Sadducees are sad, you see. Ah, see, see what I did there? Because the Pharisees aren't fair, you see? All right, forget it. All right. The Sadducees were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Just two pages ago, it was only 3,000. And now after the healing of this lame beggar, another 2,000 have been added. So there's really some momentum here and it's worrying the religious authorities though they're rightly annoyed. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all those who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set the apostles in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Those two questions form and shape everything that you will hear that follows. By what power and by what name do you go about doing this? These are excellent questions. 
And the apostles are going to answer them with excellent answers. So let's keep going. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a, a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means that this man has been healed, then let it be known to you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, do you see it there? By the name, they said, by what power and what name? They said, I'll tell you what name. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. There's that pesky resurrection thing again. So they're really annoyed now. By the name of Jesus and the power of the resurrection, because he raised him from the dead, by him, this man standing before you as well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, builders, but it's become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given amongst men by which we must be saved. And every person in this room who is an actual evangelical Presbyterian should say amen. Get in touch with your inner Presby Baptocostal, amen. amen. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived, accurately, mind you, they perceived that they were uneducated and common men. They were astonished. So you see, we've, we've moved from annoyed to astonished. For they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that notable sign that has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. But in order that it might not spread, remember it's gone from 3,000 to 5,000 now, but in order that it might not spread any further, among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. See it popping up again? So they called them back in and they charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, well, you're going to have to judge but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Some translations say we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. I think that's the big idea of this text, by the way. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For this man who had the sign of healing that was performed was more than 40 years old. Now, when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, and this is going to be a prayer that combines Jeremiah 32 and Psalm 2. So they're going to pray the word of God to God. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, has said by his Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves against the rulers of the earth, are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles of the people of Israel. So you people who love Reformed theology, lean in and listen. Here comes a golden nugget. Ready? To do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal with signs and wonders that are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I gotta tell you what, when I read a passage of scripture like that, I feel like I should just sit down and shut up because the word of God speaks for itself and it is powerful. It is a two-edged sword. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is good for training. It is good for rebuking. It is good for raising up in righteousness. God's word goes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which it has been established and it does not return void. And if you agree with me, say amen. So let's place ourselves before the light of God's word that he might speak to the church, that we might hear that word and be shaped by that word so that we may go and participate in the mission of God as empowered by the spirit of God according to the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, would you come and speak now through your servant as frail and as imperfect as I would be. Start with me. And then speak to all of us and give us ears of faith to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. I pray these things in Jesus' name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, the name under heaven amongst which all would be saved in no other name. In that name we pray, amen. The EPC's mission is the EPC exists to carry out the Great Commission. Now, if it were up to me, it'd be a full stop. It continues. What continues is good. What continues I appreciate. What continues is not classically a mission statement. It's more of a DNA statement. It's more of a statement of who we are. Mission statement is what we do. The EPC exists to carry out the Great Commission. Full stop. Continue. As a Presbyterian, 
Reformed, Evangelical, and Missional Churches. Now, I like that last part because I happen to be Presbyterian, Reformed, Evangelical, and Missional, and you should like that Eastminster Church because you happen to be Presbyterian, Reformed, Evangelical, and Missional. So those are good things. Those are, those are identifiers that tell us who we are, but a mission statement is what we do. So as Presbyterian, Reformed, Evangelical, and Missional Churches, we exist to carry out the Great Commission. That's why we exist. In fact, it's hysterical. None of you will probably ever do this, but if you really got bored at night and had insomnia and you wanted to read the EPC's book of order, why are you laughing? You will find that the number one reason why a session exists in the EPC is to ensure that the local church is carrying out the Great Commission. It's number one. The number one reason why a presbytery exists is to ensure that the local church is carrying out the Great Commission. The reason why the General Assembly exists is to make sure that you're carrying out the Great Commission. We actually have a chapter in our book of discipline where we can discipline churches that aren't carrying out the Great Commission. Imagine that. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying our forefathers and foremothers were so serious about the Great Commission that they put it in all of our founding documents. Because that's why the EPC, that's why Eastminster Church exists, to carry out the Great Commission in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. EPC World Outreach refines that a little bit in its master plan that came out and was approved at this last year's General Assembly to say that we go to the places with the least access of the gospel happens to be the most people with the fewest amount of funds, we go to those places. Sometimes we call them the hard places. But make no bones about it, the mission of the EPC is to carry out the Great Commission, which means we share the gospel in the hard places. This text is a great illustration of exactly how God's people, by God's spirit, through God's word, do just that. If you lean in and listen, you'll hear the way God loves to work through his people when they're obedient and follow him. In verses one through four, you'll hear them speaking to the people. In verses five through 22, you'll hear the apostles speaking to the powerful. In verses 23 through 30, you'll hear them speaking to the sovereign Lord, back to him. And then finally, in that last verse of this text, you'll hear them speaking boldly by the power of God of the Holy Spirit. In verses one through four, they speak to the people and the resurrection of Jesus is the message. That's what's got the religious authorities so annoyed. They speak to the people and the resurrection of Jesus is the message. Because without the resurrection, let's be clear about this, we are nothing but a misguided religious social club. The resurrection of Jesus is everything. It's the eternal game changer. I love the fact that in all of his communications, my predecessor, the Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Jeremiah, who I am so grateful to be able to follow in his footsteps, and I, I stand on the shoulders of giants to be able to serve after, he would end every one of his communications with this kind of like a sly smile, and he would look at you and he would say, and remember, he is risen. I mean, come on, people. Power over death in the grave. He is risen. 
He is risen indeed. I, last week, I preached at Tampa Covenant Church, uh, sister EPC congregation in Tampa, Florida. They end every single worship service with the historic statement of the Christian church that's been said for 2,000 years. They end every one before they go out of that place with Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And because Christ has died, you've been forgiven your sins. Just imagine if he had not died on the cross, you and I would still be in our trespasses and sins. We'd still be dead in our trespasses and sins. But Christ has died. And because he's risen, he's given us victory over the grave. It cannot hold us. And he's coming again. So you better behave yourselves. Because no one knows the day or the hour. He comes again. I think he's going to want to find his church fulfilling his mission that he gave her. It's all about the resurrection, people. When we speak to the people, we do so when we speak with the resurrection as central. In verse 5 through 22, the apostles then spoke to the powerful, the people who make your knees shake, the people for whom you're terrified and afraid you'll never have the right words. When they speak to the powerful, being with Jesus is the difference maker. When they speak to the powerful, being with Jesus is the difference maker. You'll notice in verse 13, one of the coolest parts of this passage, as they move from annoyed to astonished, what astonishes them is that these were common and uneducated men who stood before the most powerful people in all of Israel and declared this resurrection. And the description that's given of them after acknowledging that they were just common, uneducated men, the description is they observed that they had been with Jesus. That was the difference maker. You can stand before kings and never shake in your boots once you've been with the king of the universe. So, little little test here. Uh, how many of you have heard of Zach Merkrebs? Hands up. Zach Merkrebs, all of you? Nobody? Okay. Let's try this again. Uh, how many of you have heard of the Asbury Revival in Wilmore, Kentucky? Ah, okay. There we go. What may be surprising to you is Zach Merkrebs, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, is the Envision Leadership Coordinator for the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, and he was the guy who spoke in chapel when the whole thing broke loose. <laughs> What's even more amazing is when he was done speaking, he texted his wife and she asked him, how did it go? And he said, I think I whiffed. I don't know how many times that's happened to you, Pastor. Um, I've preached a sermon. I get out of the pulpit and I said, man, I just mumbled dog face to the banana patch up there. I don't know what in the world I was saying. And then you have someone come up to you afterwards and say, Pastor, that sermon changed my life. And I go, well, that's got to be the Holy Spirit. But you know what? That's true. Every single time somebody stands in this spot or proclaims God's word, it's got to be by the Holy Spirit. It's just ordinary people. Zach is just an ordinary guy, thought he whiffed. But you know what's interesting is at the end, at the end of his remarks, uh, the chapel talk he gave was in a series uh, called Love in Action. And it was based out of Romans chapter 12. 
And um, at the end of his remarks, right before everything started to happen, and there was nothing emotional about it, there was nothing phenomenal about it, it was an okay sermon, to be honest. At the end of his message, he said this, he said, if we are going to live with love in action, the only way we can ever love people with Jesus's love is if we first have been loved by Jesus. And we have got to sit and abide with Jesus and feel and receive and experience his love before we can ever take it to others. That was his point. An ordinary guy telling people they just need to spend more time with Jesus so that we can love others. Doesn't that sound just a little bit familiar? Now, if you're still a skeptic, and some people are, I'd like to read for you an authority on the subject in response. Quote, the unusual revival that came to Asbury College and spread to the campuses across America is evidence that God is still at work in this world, lifting men and women out of self-centeredness, secularism, and boredom. It came at a time when radical students were striving desperately to upset the educational equilibrium of our nation with burning, destroying property, rock throwing, and all forms of violence. The Bible says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And his grace has been displayed in phenomenal ways on many campuses, even while other campuses are on the brink of chaos. With the Lord, it is usually at the worst of times that the best of things happen. That is the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham, who said that in 1970, when the Spirit fell the last time at Asbury, then college. That's in the foreword to Robert E. Coleman's book, One Divine Moment. Whether it was Acts chapter 2, 1908 at Asbury, 1970 at Asbury, or the fresh fall of the Holy Spirit on that place now, it's just typically ordinary people who get up and talk about the resurrection of Jesus, but they do so in his name and by his power, because it's all about Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised in verses 23 through 30 as the apostles shift their speaking to God himself and pray, because prayer is ultimately what undergirds historically every revival that has ever existed. That they should turn to God and pray, and the very question that was raised to them at the beginning is now put on full display. They pray in the name of Jesus, that the hand of Jesus would move. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your service to continue to speak the word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal with signs and wonders to perform in the name, in the name, in the name of your holy service, Jesus. In chapter 3, Back all up in verse six, when they first healed the lame beggar, they said they did it in the name of Jesus, three verse six. When the crowd wondered how the lame man could have been healed, in verse 16 of chapter three, they said in the name of Jesus. When testifying before the religious council, they said there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, the name of Jesus. The religious leaders told them not to teach in the name 
of Jesus. And at the end, when they're praying, they prayed that God would do these miraculous things in the name of Jesus. And they prayed for the power of Jesus by asking God to stretch out his hand. Throughout the course of the scripture, God's hand is a sign of power. I, I wish I could go into it in, in detail. It's a great sermon. I have a full sermon on this, but I can only whet your appetites today and tease you just but a little bit. But if you go back to uh, Exodus chapter 14, uh, verses 13 to 16, really uh, verses 21 and verse 26 in particular, you might remember in verse 21, <laughs> Moses is directed by God. God specifically tells him, stretch out your hands and the water parts. Remember that? And then in verse 26, when they're on the other side of the sea, he tells Moses, the great deliverer, to stretch out his hands again, and the water closes. Unto deliverance and unto judgment, the great deliverer Moses is directed by God to stretch out his hands. Now, that's not the first time God tells Moses to do this. The instructions first are given in Exodus chapter 6, in verse 6. And in Exodus 6, verse 6, we see the instructions of how to lead a family through the Passover meal. In fact, Jesus himself, when he is in the upper room celebrating the Passover and he takes the cup, he is quoting from the third cup of the Passover meal, which is in Exodus 6, 6, where God says, stretch out your hand and I will redeem my people. So Jesus takes the cup of redemption to foreshadow the fact that he would go to the cross and stretch out his hand. With one thief on this side who asks for forgiveness and deliverance is offered, this day you will be with me in paradise, and one on this side who mocks him until his death and will experience God's judgment unto deliverance and judgment in power. The greatest deliverer, Jesus, stretches out his hand. Just like Peter and John, the resurrected one lives in you, and you too have this power. When you go to share the gospel in the hard places and we're terrified, we go in the name of Jesus, and we go in the power of Jesus, and when we speak by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus gives us the words, just as he did the apostles here in verse 31. Ordinary people witnessing to the resurrection, speaking the name of Jesus in the power of Jesus, and I can't imagine a harder place. If you were with me uh, Friday or Saturday as I shared my stories from the village of Benicoro in the northeast portion of Sierra Leone, almost on the Guinean border, it is the hardest place of all the places I have traveled in the world. In fact, when God said to go to the ends of the earth, if you did that, you would take a right, you would fall off the ends of the earth, and when you finished rolling, you would land in Benicoro. The Karanko people 12 years ago were an unreached people group. Last week, two weeks ago now, um, we actually dedicated the EPC Church of Benicoro among the Karanko people. 
And there were 12 new believers, Muslims who have now become Christians, who are baptized in a watering hole on the edge of town, right at the edge of the next village over, which has the reputation, the notorious reputation, for being the place where more Christians have been martyred and killed in West Africa than any other place. Planting a church on the very gates of hell. But here's what really gets me. Last week, I learned of a senior secondary student from the village of Benikoro, that very village, and her name is Nafi, N-O-F-F-I-E, Nafi. She's senior secondary two in science, which means she's 11th grade and she's planning on going into the sciences. She's a Muslim girl who became a Christian. And she declared at her school that she was going to go back to her home village and speak about Jesus. And then she said something astonishing. She said, and I don't care what my father will do to me. The reason why that's significant is her father is the imam of that village. Her father is the Muslim cleric in that village, right on the edge of where more people have been killed for their faith than any other place in West Africa. And she said, I don't care what my father will do to me. An ordinary person witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus in her life, speaking the name of Jesus by the power of Jesus in perhaps the hardest place of all. Not just Benny Coro, but her own home. Because it starts in our Jerusalem. And then it goes to Judea, Samaria, in the ends of the earth. I think Nafi would probably say it this way. I cannot help but speak of what I have seen and heard. And when you have seen and heard and experienced the resurrection of Jesus, we cannot help but share that good news, especially in the hard places. Let's pray together. Lord, your word goes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which you have set it forth. Would your spirit now come in power and rest upon your people as you have all across this country and around the world, as you have historically? Would your spirit come and empower your people that we might join your mission and be your witnesses, especially to the hard places? And together with one heart, with one mind, and one spirit, all of God's people in agreement declared together, amen.